Black Lives Matter. Uh, okay, so apparently I'm not above incendiary titles. Um, of course, yes, of course, Black Lives Matter. Um, those words on their own, that sentiment, I of course agree with, right? Everyone agrees with it. There are like 16 people in North America who don't agree with that and nobody likes them anyways. Um, so I asked that question, do Black Lives Matter? Because I don't think the organization Black Lives Matter actually thinks Black Lives Matter. Um, so I don't support the organization. I don't support the movement the movement Black Lives Matter, even though I love and adore black people, right? People of all colors and cultures. Um, I don't care if people are great, okay? Uh, I love them all, but there's a lot more to this whole Black Lives Matter thing than what most of us hear. And if you've managed to make it this far without dismissing me as a racist and stomping off in a social justice induced rage, then I think you're gonna find the rest of this episode pretty fascinating. So bear with me on this one. This is a how-to on how to not support the Black Lives Matter movement and still not be a racist. Crazy, I know. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Hemlock Podcast. A uh, couple quick things before we jump in. As always, jump onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you think of the show. If you don't want to rate us five stars, don't leave a review at all. That's totally okay. Have a great day. Um, number two, go on the hemlockpodcast.locals.com and become a financial supporter. Um, obviously, podcasts don't make a bunch of money right off the start, and we're just kind of getting our... Uh, getting our wings here. So if you could do that and become a supporter, that'd be huge. There's going to be exclusive content there, um, things that kind of just everyone won't have access to, but you will if you are a supporter. So I'd super appreciate that. And uh, this episode's also brought to you by Good Food. So there's a link in the description of the episode. Uh, use that link and you'll save yourself 40 bucks on your favorite, on your next Good Food subscription box. My fiance and I tried like every single meal delivery subscription out there and good food is hands down the best one we tried. Uh, so save yourself 40 bucks in your first box. Use the link in the description below. Um, and that helps support the podcast, um, helps my fiance and I get good food as well. <laughs> so uh, we'd super appreciate that. Also, any books I mention, anything, um, any products mentioned will be available at Amazon links in the description as well. If you use those links to purchase those books, those recommendations, uh, that also supports the podcast as well. So I'd super appreciate that. If you're interested in what we're talking about, you want to buy your own copy of a book or whatever it is, um, use those links below. All right. So let's jump in, shall we? Episode two. So apparently I decided to jump headlong into the controversial stuff because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, ask my mom. Um, so I wanted to start off again with, you guessed it, some definitions, right? We got to know what we're talking about. So I feel like there's a lot of definitional trickery that goes on around this subject. So the first one is the word racism itself, right? Merriam-Webster defines racism as a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. So there are some groups of people, right? Namely, 
certain college professors that Malcolm Muggeridge would have labeled as educated into imbecility and C.S. Lewis would have labeled as men without chests. Um, and that applies to women as well. Try not to read too far into that. Um, these groups of people have tried to redefine racism as prejudice plus power. So that's absurd, right? You're telling me that like in a place like Baltimore, for example, um, at, actually at the time when Freddie Gray died, speaking of police brutality, um, Baltimore at the time was 45% black, city council was 100% Democrat and majority black, the number one and number two cop at the time were black, the majority of the command staff was black, the mayor was black, the AG was black. So are you telling me white people couldn't be racist in Baltimore back then because they didn't hold that much systemic power? Of course not, that's ridiculous, right? Um, it's asinine, prejudice is prejudice and racism is racism. So bringing power dynamics into the mix is it's a leftist trick to convolute the issue and weaponize identity politics to get votes, it's garbage, right? Um, okay, definition number two, systemic racism. Now, it seems to me that very often we confuse individual acts of racism with systemic racism because I'm not trying to say racism no longer exists because of course it does, but by and large, at least in the West, it exists in individuals only. And if systemically at all, meaning like at an institutional level, so it's in the law or it's in the actual system, right? It's coded into law or the systems. Um, if that happens at all, it may be only in isolated regions, certain municipalities or police departments, for example. But again, incredibly difficult to find an example. I haven't found any. So um, I'm... You want to convince me on that? Show me an example. Um, and then last one, last definition before we jump into it, Marxism. So wait, Patrick, what does Marxism have to do with Black Lives Matter? I'm so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> let me tell you what it means, and then I'll explain how it applies to Black Lives Matter. So simply put, Marxism is a social, political, and economic theory originated by Karl Marx, which focuses on the struggle between what he called capitalists, right? So the people in charge of the capitalists, the ones who own the capital and the working class. So basically he thought that power relationships between capitalists and workers were inherently exploitative and would inevitably create class conflict. So he believed this conflict would ultimately lead to a revolution in which the working class would overthrow the capitalist class, right? The proletariat would overthrow the bourgeoisie um, and seize control of the economy. Once they had control of the economy, they would institute, guess what? Points to you if you listen to the first episode. Um, they would institute socialism and then Communism, right? So Lenin himself said socialism was a bridge to communism, right? So communism, yay! Except, guess what? And this has happened every single time socialism, communism has been tried. Every single time. Um, it's not practical for groups of millions of people to govern themselves collectively, right? Th that's why we have democratic representative republics, and, and they're awesome, right? I'm sure they have their flaws, but they're way better than... The alternative, um, because you always need a group of people to govern a nation, right? And if that means of governance is not established well with checks and balances, right? Means of stopping humanity's natural inclination towards tyranny, guess what? You get tyranny, which is why every single time there's a socialist or communist government set up spouting high ideals like governed by the people or the proletariat owns the means of production, which is, that's basically just a fancy way of saying everyday people run the place. Um, 
how that works out practically, how it works out on the ground is that it's a very small group of power hungry elites that sees all the wealth of the nation, right? Which de-incentivizes productive economies because who wants to work when all the fruits of your labor are seized and redistributed? Um, and then they enforce their glorious utopia uh, by murdering millions of people to maintain control, right? Um, so, I mean, you can look it up. The Soviet Union, China, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, anywhere this gets tried, whether it lives up to people say, oh, true socialism, ha true socialism hasn't been tried. So anywhere this gets tried, whether it lives up to Karl Marx's ultimate communist ideal or not, which it never will, um, or whether those countries are incredibly wealthy in resources, right? And they should be able to support a socialized economy. For example, Venezuela, which by the end of 2020 is slated to have over a 50% unemployment rate and inflation recently hit 10 million percent in Venezuela, which means that your month's salary won't even buy you a gallon of milk. Even though they have the world's largest proven oil reserves, right? Side note, their production is 2.3 times actually less than it was back in 1970. They should be fine. They're not. Why? A corrupt socialist government. End of story, right? Socialism in Venezuela was instituted by Hugo Chavez under the veil, again, it always starts with good intentions, under the veil of seemingly noble socialist missions work, uh, which claimed to help people while he secretly just seized more and more power, right? Um, that's what happens every single time, right? The small people that are instituting this socialist utopia always just seize all the power and money for themselves because humans are corrupt. Humans are tyrannical, right? Um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay. That was a rant. <laughs> All that to say, that's Marxism. Um, and Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza, two of the, forgive me if I'm pronouncing those wrong, uh, two of Black Lives Matter's co-founders, the movement, the organization Black Lives Matter, um, they're self-admitted trained Marxists. So the official Black Lives Matter website even claims the following, and these are direct quotes from their What We Believe page. You can look this up. This is still live as of the recording of this podcast. So we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women. We foster a queer affirming network. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. So I'm not exactly sure what any of that has to do with black lives uh, exactly, but I bring these examples up specifically because I'm an evangelical myself, and don't get me wrong, I love everybody, I believe Jesus is for everybody, but the organization Black Lives Matter has, from their own website, a hell of a lot more to do with radical left-wing ideologies than it does with Black Lives Mattering, right? In my opinion. Um, and when I see churches, right, even fellow Christians, fellow conservatives, blindly touting an ideology that is attempting to backdoor radical leftist agendas into mainstream culture, even mainstream evangelical culture, and it's working somehow. You have like conservatives and evangelicals and just kind of everyday people like just jumping on board the whole Black Lives Matter movement um, from a good place. They're, like they're trying to do good work, right? It's from a good thing without realizing what it's trying to backdoor into the culture, right? Well, I see that happening. That's why I started a podcast because that's insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Um, so that, that leaves the question, how much does Black Lives Matter 
the organization actually care about black lives, right? Because um, you'd think a lot, hopefully, right? Being that's the name of the organization. I'm not so sure. I'm not convinced, right? Because let me break this down for you. So Black Lives Matter or BLM started as a response to police brutality, right? We've seen stories, we know the names, and please don't get me wrong. They're tragic, each and every story. Any loss of human life to me is tragic. It is to most of us. Um, what I'm trying to say is that the narrative being built around police brutality, right? So the media and the mainstream social media response to it um, doesn't hold up, in my opinion. So bear with me. Roughly 13% of Americans are black. I've shared that with friends. Most are surprised it's that low of a percentage, but that's the truth. Most respond like, oh, probably like 20, 30, 40% of the US is black, right? About 13%. You could actually further reduce that to about 6.5% just considering the males, just by considering only the males, because in any race, right, uh, males do over 85% of the homicide and aggravated assault and over 90% of the robberies. So that being said, and I don't like these stats, the stats I'm about to share, I don't like them, okay? I sincerely wish they weren't the case, um, but I also know if that we're not honest about the facts, we'll never find real solutions, right? If we're lying about the problem, we're never going to find the solution to the problem. So here are the stats. Black Americans, so less than 13% of the population, right? Because we're just considering, we're just talking about those committing crimes or less than 6.5% if you just focus on the males, right? Commit about 53, 6.5, less than 6.5% of the population commits about 53% of the homicides, 93% of those being black on black, 28% of the rape, 34% of the aggravated assaults, and 54% of the robberies done by less than 6.5% of the population. Now, I'm not saying black people commit more crime because they're black. Please don't misunderstand me. But with that in mind, 6.5% of the population doing that much of the crime in the States, how many unarmed black men do you think were shot and killed by police in 2019? 14. And unarmed doesn't mean necessarily not violent or not resistant. Um, and that's the highest estimate I could find even amongst liberal sources. For comparison's sake, there were 25 unarmed white people shot and killed by police in the same year. So to me, it, it seems as simple as this. And if I'm wrong, please like comment. I'm not, I'm not unreasonable, right? Let me know. Uh, it seems as simple as this. And let's even remove race from the equation for a second, right? If group A commits more crime than group B, even if group A is much smaller than group B, then it still follows they'll be involved in more violent interactions with police, which explains why black men have more interactions with police, even though they make up a smaller segment of the population, because per capita, they're doing more crime. I don't like that stat, that's just the way it is. So if someone were able to demonstrate that black men are arrested and or shot by police at a rate which outpaces the rate at which they commit crimes per capita, that would actually be indicative of injustice. But so far, I haven't seen those stats and it's not for lack of trying. In fact, the best data I've found seems to prove the opposite because of course, these, these stats and data are difficult to parse, but in fact, one of the most well-known comprehensive studies in the matter, and I'll link it in the description, shows that it is in fact the opposite of that. Now, this study also happened, not that it matters, to be authored by a black economist from Harvard. It shows that Hispanics and blacks are actually overrepresented. They're overrepresented in non-lethal encounters with, 
with, with police, right? Um, which again, that follows if those groups commit more crime per capita than the proportion of the population would allow. But, and listen to this, it found no racial bias in lethal counters with police, in lethal counters, so fatal encounters with police. It found no racial bias. So this is a quote from the study. In stark contrast to non-lethal uses of force, we find that conditional on a police interaction, there are no racial differences in officer-involved shootings. There are no racial differences in officer-involved shootings. Partitioning the data in myriad ways, we find no evidence of racial discrimination in officer-involved shootings. Investigating the intensive margin, the timing of shootings, or how many bullets were discharged in the endeavor, there are no detectable racial differences. So wait, if police brutality isn't an issue then, and I'm not saying it's not an issue at all, right? It's still tragic. I'm saying going by the data, the data show it to be statistically insignificant, right? For a country of 330 million people in the States, right? It doesn't occur often. And when it does, the data show it to be rarely motivated by race. Okay, and of course, when it is motivated by race, that's totally evil, right? I'm not, of course it is. Um, but if that's the case, statistically, it's not a huge problem. Why is that the one BLM is pushing? What about the 20 million black babies aborted since 1960? And I don't care what you think about abortion, 20 million black babies since 1960 there's a controversial topic for you right if this wasn't enough so far um because you don't hear that stat from black lives matter right what about and here's the real issue i think that is most affecting the black community because it affects all communities equally in the sense that it's the single most directly attributable factor to rates of poverty crime poor academic performance teen pregnancy etc right this is the same in all in all races in all communities fatherlessness Okay, so in 1960, fatherlessness in the black community was around 20%. Now, that number is between 70 and 75%. And by the way, in the white community, it was around 2 to 3% in 1960, and it, it's since risen to about 30%. And you see similarly negative statistics in white and Hispanic communities with increased fatherlessness, right? So fatherlessness in any community of any race has hugely negative correlations with all those things I mentioned. So how did we get here where the foremost movement supposedly fighting for black lives, right, is fighting for one of the least significant problems in the black community and the mainstream media is fanning the flames of what is statistically a non-issue, perpetuating fear in black neighborhoods and putting further lives at risk by exacerbating tensions between races and between citizens and police who exist to keep communities safe. Enter Malcolm Muggeridge with one of the most poignant quotes summarizing our society that I have heard in my lifetime. So... The final conclusion would surely be that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours had the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions, and then providing them with facilities for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. 
Thus did Western man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, himself blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city tumbling down, and, having convinced himself that he was too numerous, labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself fewer, until at last, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he keeled over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and became extinct. What a perfect encapsulation of our day. And I really do think that the problem lies in our institutions. Because look at what is breaking down right now. You walk outside in your neighborhood and everything's fine. You wave at your neighbors every day, regardless of their color. You go about your business, just trying to make enough money for your family to live well, right? Meanwhile, the academy, media, and politicians are running around either screaming at you that you're a victim of white supremacy and you need me, the politician, to rescue you, so vote for me, or you're a perpetrator of white supremacy. And the only way you can absolve yourself of your guilt is to, you guessed it, vote for me. Thomas Sowell, one of my favorite authors, and not that it matters again, but for the record, he's black as well, says this in his book, Intellectuals and Race, which is one of the best books on the subject out there, in my opinion. Um, so this is Intellectuals and Race. Thomas Sowell says, There is no subject that is more in need of dispassionate analysis, careful factual research, and a fearless and honest discussion than is race. Ideally, we might look to intellectuals for such things. But it is also true that the mental skills and verbal dexterity of intellectuals can be used to evade evidence and promote whatever beliefs or agendas are in vogue among their peers. The intelligentsia in the media can decide what to emphasize, what to downplay, and what to ignore entirely when it comes to race. These may be individual choices rather than a conspiracy, but individual choices growing out of a common vision of the world can produce results all too similar to what is produced by centralized censorship or propaganda. He goes on to say, it should be noted that an internal explanation an internal explanation of racial differences, even if it is cultural rather than genetic, deprives intellectuals of a moral melodrama and the opportunity that presents to be on the side of the angels against the forces of evil. There are, of course, times to take moral stands on particular issues, but that is very different from saying that issues in general, or racial issues in particular, are to be automatically conceived in ways that create a moral melodrama. It isn't real. It's virtue signaling. It's a fabricated leftist religion and it's engineered to seize power. It has nothing to do with black lives. Joe Biden, who's the Democratic presidential nominee in the States, and I'm laughing because you just look up a YouTube video of him stumbling over his words lately. It's, it's sad he's not cognitive. He's not cognitively all there anymore, um, which is sad, but 
it's amazing and humorous to me that they've just gone with him as the presidential nominee. Um, this was him a couple weeks ago. What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Unlike, listen, to, I'll say it again. Unlike the African-American community with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. So what? Black people are all the same, Joe Biden? What are you saying? Like, this this is supposed to be the non-racist dude, right? In the States, like, Democrats are supposed to be the good guys, and the Republicans are the old white racist dudes, right? Um, but Joe Biden just said black Americans are all the same and lack diversity, right? Diversity of thought. To bring it home to Canadians, right? I'm a Canadian myself, so let's bring it home. Justin Trudeau is over here spewing soppy social justice speeches every five minutes, right? Meanwhile, he's got multiple instances documented of him being in blackface, which if there's a dude we should cancel, we cancel everyone else, but not Trudeau for that, obviously. Uh, just for comparison's sake, imagine a single picture of Donald Trump being found in blackface, right? Now tell me there's not a double standard. There's, there's multiple images of Justin Trudeau in blackface. He's still our prime minister. Nothing's happened. There's a massive scandal called the We Scandal. Nothing's happened to him, right? It's a joke. It's a double standard. Now, to make it even more local, uh, I'm going to use a local example. And if you're not from Abbotsford, I apologize. But keep listening because I'm going to make a broader point. Um, the Tangle Bank controversy here in Abbotsford happened about a month, maybe over a month ago, um, where a local business... Um, basically we have like a downtown business association Instagram account and they posted like a, a post in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and Tangle Bank from their own business account posted saying something like all lives matter. Let's just treat everybody with dignity and respect no matter who they are and stop the BS, right? Now I'm not an all lives matter kind of guy, right? I know that that phrase, all lives matter, is like an incendiary phrase and just makes people mad. And so I recognize there's a unique movement going on in the, in the black community where um, where the, it feels like there's a particular oppression. And like I said, the data doesn't seem to show there is a particular oppression. Um, and so I want to express the truth that the data shows rather than the incredibly falsified and fake narrative from news and politicians and fake news, right? Whatever. <laughs> like, I know, I know it's, I'm quoting Donald Trump, but, um, but the media has got an agenda, right? And we need to be looking at the stats and we're not listening to just the talking heads and, and the politicians trying to make us feel something and vote for them. Right. So, um, I am amazed at how quickly some pastors, especially in, in Christianity, in the Christian world, forgot neither Jew nor Greek, right? There's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. Um, it's apparently racist to say you're colorblind, right? Colorblind, you don't see color. You don't rec don't care about color of skin, but content of character. Um, it's racist to say you're colorblind now, but um, I think as a Christian tenant, so as a Christian, you should be holding to that and not following the whims of the culture um, that what's on the inside of somebody, this sounds so cheesy, but we've forgotten it entirely as a culture. What's on the inside matters more than what's on the outside, right? Um, so um, I think that's true. I think that's still, I care more about what you believe and who you are, and I really could care less what you look like. 
right? Whether you're black or Indian or Hispanic or whatever, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what you think and how you feel and what you believe and how you treat people matters way more than this. This is stupid. I'm gesturing to my skin right now because it's, it's dumb. This whole conversation is dumb. Um, and so this Tangle Bank business that posted All Lives Matter, let's just treat everyone with dignity and respect um, and forget the BS, right? I get All Lives Matter like triggers some people and, and seems like a racist thing to say, but like look at the heart. If you can think like with a, like a rational person for three seconds and go, what's the heart of what they're trying to say? They're done with the politics, right? They want to treat everyone as equals, right? Let's treat everyone with dignity and respect despite what they look like. Is that a bad sentiment? <laughs> like, is that wrong? I sure as hell don't think so. Should we treat everyone with dignity and respect, no matter what they look like? Yes, cool. Is that what they clearly were trying to say? Yes, okay. Did they use like a triggering incendiary phrase to start it off by saying all lives matter? Yeah, was that tactful? Probably no. Was the heart of what they were trying to say okay and morally pure? Probably, I would say yes, right? Um, so that's crazy. And now Tangle Bank's Instagram. And so by the way, they apologize, right? So they did like the whole, um, I've been educated in and, and I've done my research now and I've had meaningful conversations with people and blah, blah, blah. They did like the whole penitence, they did like the whole penitent Mansell Pass thing, right? And like, um, and apologize to the mob. And guess what? Who could have seen this coming? It didn't work. It's never enough, right? It's never enough. Now their Instagram, every post they make, they post mostly about flowers, by the way. Every post they make about flowers now is like a stream of comments of like, you need to apologize. I knew what you said wasn't good enough and you need to do more to make reparations for what you did. And Like, it's just like, who are these people online? Just like dragging this poor business through the ringer because they said everyone should be treated with dignity and respect. And uh, I'm terrified even just saying this because I feel like post, like saying something in support of this business after they've apologized and like done their, done their penance um, is I'm probably gonna get dragged through the mud too, but whatever. Um, so I'm amazed at the lack of forgiveness. I'm amazed at the lack of absolution. And right, I, part of the reason I started this podcast is because I believe we all need Jesus, right? And one of the great things about Jesus is that there's forgiveness. There's absolution. I messed up. I'm a broken human piece of poop. And <laughs> there's forgiveness. There's absolution, right? There's repentance. You can, I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm a human and I'm broken and I messed up and I'm sorry. And then guess what? You're forgiven, period, right? Tangle Bank apologized. They asked for forgiveness. Are they forgiven now? Nope. The mob says no. The mob says you need to keep, keep apologizing and keep making reparations and keep blah, 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 whatever it is. They're all going to make up different things this business now has to do to somehow atone for the great sin they committed, saying that everyone should be treated with dignity and respect despite what they look like. Is that justice? I think you have a pretty twisted definition of justice if you think that's what justice is. So I'd like to end this episode with an address to white people, if I may. Dear white people, black people 
don't need you. What they need is what we all need. And I know that, I can speak for the black community, because they're human, and I'm human too. What they need is what we all need. Friendship, community, faith, liberty. They don't need your white guilt. They don't need your white savior complexes, your welfare state, your affirmative action, or your college-educated, enlightened burning and looting of cities in an effort to defund the police on behalf of a Marxist agenda. They don't need your half-assed attempts at anti-racism in the form of a post on Instagram or harassing a business in the comments section. They are totally capable. They are powerful and virtuous, and the thing that keeps some of them down is the same thing that keeps certain people of all races down, a victimhood mindset. A surrender of control over my own destiny to the politician lying through his teeth about how he's going to save me. That's what this all comes down to. There are those in every race who would play the victim, who would blame Everyone else, the government, society, history, the people around them, and the neighbor's dog, pointing out the slivers in everyone else's eye before removing the log in their own. And you know what? No one can help those people. But that isn't black people. Maybe some, just like it is some white people and some Hispanic people and some Indian people, but... Black people have been performing Herculean feats to overcome the worst kind of adversity for hundreds of years. You want to call me racist? Racism would be me believing that my race is superior to another race. But I don't believe it is. I just wish some of our friends on the left would stop acting like it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's Hemlock Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. Tell them to subscribe because if you loved it, then they're going to love it too, obviously. Also, head on over to iTunes to leave us a five-star rating and review. That helps us a lot with the charts. And if you're not going to leave us five stars, then forget about it. Don't worry about it and enjoy the rest of your day. Lastly, head on over to thehemlockpodcast.locals.com to become a supporter and receive access to exclusive content and ad-free versions of the Hemlock Podcast. Love you so much for listening. Let's continue to ride out this increasingly insane world with irreverence and joy. This is your host, Patrick Jolliker. Much love, y'all. Peace.